0: Part 20 of Hard Times by Charles Dickens This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. From Household Words, a Weekly Journal Saturday, August 12th, 1854 Chapter 35 Before the ring formed round the old hell-shaft was broken, one figure had disappeared from within it. Mr. Bounderby and his shadow had not stood near Louisa, who held her father's arms but in a retired place by themselves when mr gradgrind was summoned to the couch sissy attentive to all that happened slipped behind that wicked shadow a sight in the horror of his face if there had been eyes there for any sight but one and whispered in his ear without turning his head he conferred with her a few moments and vanished thus the whelp had gone out of the circle before the people moved when the father reached home, he sent a message to Mr. Bounderby's, desiring his son to come to him directly. The reply was that Mr. Bounderby, having missed him in the crowd, and seen nothing of him since, had supposed him to be at Stone Lodge. ''I believe, father,'' said Louisa, ''he will not come back to town tonight.'' Mr. Gragrind turned away and said no more. In the morning he went down to the bank himself as soon as it was opened, and seeing his son's place empty, he had not the courage to look in at first, went back along the street to meet Mr. Bounderby on his way there, to whom he said that for reasons he would soon explain, but entreated not then to be asked for, he had found it necessary to employ his son at a distance for a little while. Also, that he was charged with the duty of vindicating Stephen Blackpool's memory and declaring the thief. Mr. Bounderby, quite confounded, stood stock-still in the street after his father-in-law had left him swelling like an immense soap-bubble without its beauty Mr. Graggrind went home locked himself in his room and kept it all that day when Sissy and Louisa tapped at his door he said without opening it not now my dears, in the evening on their return in the evening he said I'm not able yet, tomorrow he ate nothing all day and had no candle after dark and they heard him walking to and fro late at night but in the morning he appeared at breakfast at the usual hour and took his usual place at the table aged and bent he looked and quite bowed down and yet he looked a wiser man and a better man than in the days when in this life he wanted nothing but facts before he left the room he appointed a time for them to come to him and so with his grey head drooping went away "'Dear father,' said Louisa, when they kept their appointment, "'you will have three young children left. "'They will be different. "'I will be different yet, with heaven's help.' "'She gave her hand to Sissy, as if she meant with her help too. "'Your wretched brother,' said Mr. Graggrind, "'do you think he had planned this robbery "'when he went with you to the lodging?' "'I know he had wanted money very much, "'and had spent a great deal.' the poor man being about to leave the town it came into his evil brain to cast suspicion on him i think it must have flashed upon him while he sat there father for i asked him to go there with me the visit did not originate with him he had some conversation with the poor man did he take him aside he took him out of the room i asked him afterwards why he had done so and he made a plausible excuse but since last night father and when I remember the circumstances by its light, I am afraid I can imagine too truly what passed between them. "'Let me know,' said her father, "'if your thoughts present your guilty brother in the same dark view as mine.' "'I fear, father,' hesitated Louisa, "'that he must have made some representation to Stephen Blackpool, perhaps in my name, perhaps in his own, which induced him to do, in good faith and honesty, what he had never done before— and to wait about the bank those two or three nights before he left the town too plain returned the father too plain he shaded his face and remained silent for some moments recovering himself he said and now how is he to be found how is he to be saved from justice in the few hours that i can possibly allow to elapse before i publish the truth how is he to be found by us and only by us ten thousand pounds could not effect it sissy has affected it father he raised his eyes to where she stood like a good fairy in his house and said in a tone of softened gratitude and grateful kindness it is always you my child we had our fears sissy explained glancing at louisa before yesterday and when i saw you brought to the side of the litter last night and heard what passed being close to rachel all the time i went to him when no one saw and said to him don't look at me "'See where your father is. "'Escape at once, for his sake, and your own.' "'He was in a tremble before I whispered to him, "'and he started and trembled more then, and said, "'Where can I go? "'I have very little money, and I don't know who will hide me. "'I thought of Father's old circus. "'I've not forgotten where Mr. Sleary goes at this time of year, "'and I read of him in a paper only the other day. "'I told him to hurry there and tell his name, "'and ask Mr. Sleary to hide him till I came. "'I'll get to him before the morning,' he said and i saw him shrink away among the people thank heaven exclaimed his father he may be got abroad yet it was the more hopeful as the town to which sissy had directed him was within three hours journey of liverpool whence he could be swiftly dispatched to any part of the world but caution being necessary in communicating with him for there was a great danger every moment of his being suspected now and nobody could be sure at heart but that mr bounderby himself in a bullying vein of public zeal might play a roman part it was consented that sissy and louisa should repair to the place in question by a circuitous course alone and that the unhappy father setting forth in an opposite direction should get round to the same bourne by another and wider route it was further agreed that he should not present himself to mr sleary lest his intentions should be mistrusted or the intelligence of his arrival should cause his son to take flight anew but that the communication should be left to sissy and louisa to open and that they should inform the cause of so much misery and disgrace of his father's being at hand and of the purpose for which they had come when these arrangements had been well considered and were fully understood by all three it was time to begin to carry them into execution Early in the afternoon Mr. Gradgrind walked direct from his own house into the country to be taken up on the line by which he was to travel, and at night the remaining two set forth upon their different course, encouraged by not seeing any face they knew. The two travelled all night, except when they were left for odd numbers of minutes at branch places up illimitable flights of steps or down wells, which was the only variety of those branches and early in the morning were turned out on a swamp a mile or two from the town they sought from this dismal spot they were rescued by a savage old postillion who happened to be up early kicking a horse into a fly and so were smuggled into the town by all the back lanes where the pigs lived which although not a magnificent or even savoury approach was as is usual in such cases the legitimate highway The first thing they saw on entering the town was the skeleton of sleary's circus the company had departed for another town more than twenty miles off and had opened there last night the connection between the two places was by a hilly turnpike road and the travelling on that road was very slow though they took but a hasty breakfast and no rest which it would have been in vain to seek under such anxious circumstances it was noon before they began to find the bills of sleary's horse riding on barns and walls, and one o'clock when they stopped in the market-place. A grand morning performance by the riders commencing at that very hour was in course of announcement by the bellman as they set their feet upon the stones of the street. Cissy recommended that to avoid making inquiries and attracting attention in the town, they should present themselves to pay at the door. If Mr. Sleary were taking the money, He would be sure to know her and would proceed with discretion if he were not he would be sure to see them inside and knowing what he had done with the fugitive would proceed with discretion still therefore they repaired with fluttering hearts to the well-remembered booth the flag with the inscription sleary's horse riding was there and the gothic niche was there but mr sleary was not there master kidderminster grown too maturely turfy to be received by the wildest credulity as cupid any more had yielded to the invincible force of circumstances and his beard and in the capacity of a man who made himself generally useful presided on this occasion over the exchequer having also a drum in reserve on which to expend his leisure moments and superfluous forces in the extreme sharpness of his look-out for base coin mr kidderminster as at present situated never saw anything but money so sissy passed him unrecognized and they went in the emperor of japan on a steady old white horse stenciled with black spots was twirling five wash hand basins at once as is the favorite recreation of that monarch to do sissy though well acquainted with his royal line had no personal knowledge of the present emperor and his reign was peaceful miss josephine sleary in her celebrated graceful equestrian tyrolean flower act was then announced by a new clown who humorously said cauliflower act and mr sleary appeared leading her in mr sleary had only made one cut at the clown with his long whiplash and the clown had only said if you do it again i'll throw the horse at you when Cissy was recognised both by father and daughter but they got through the act with great self-possession and mr sleary saving for the first instant conveyed no more expression into his locomotive eye than into his fixed one the performance seemed a little long to sissy and louisa particularly when it stopped to afford the clown an opportunity of telling mr sleary who said indeed sir to all his observations in the calmest way and with his eye on the house about two legs sitting on three legs looking at one leg when in came four legs and laid hold of one leg and got up two legs caught hold of three legs and threw them at four legs who ran away with one leg for although an ingenious allegory relating to a butcher a three-legged stool a dog and a leg of mutton this narrative consumed time and they were in great suspense at last however little fair-haired josephine made her curtsey amid great applause and the clown left alone in the ring had just warmed himself and said now i'll have a turn when Cissy was touched on the shoulder and beckoned out. She took Louisa with her, and they were received by Mr. Sleary in a very little private apartment with canvas sides, a grass floor, and a wooden ceiling all aslant, on which the box company stamped their approbation as if they were coming through. Thethelia said Mr. Sleary, who had brandy and water at hand, it doth me good to you. You hath always a favourite with us, "'and you've done us credit since the old times, I'm sure. "'You must see our people, my dear, afore we speak of business, "'and they'll break their hearts, "'especially the women. If Josephine has been and got married "'to E. W. B. Childress, "'and she has got a boy, "'and though he's only three years old, "'he sticks to any pony you can bring against him. "'He's named the little wonder of scholastic equitation.' "'And if you don't hear of that boy at Athlith, you'll hear of him at Paris. "'And you recollect, kidderminster, that were thought to be rather sweet upon yourself. "'Well, he's married too, married a widow, old enough to be his mother. Thee was tight ropes he was, and now thee's nothing on account of fat. "'They've got two children, though he's strong in th fairy business and the nursery dodge.' If you was to see our children in the wood, with their father and mother, both a dying on a horse, their uncle a retherin' of em, at his wards upon a horse, them both a going a black a black on a horse, and the robins a coming in to cover em with leaves upon a horse. You say it was the completest thing if you'd ever set your eyes on. And ye remember Emma Gordon, my dear, as was almost a mother to you. Of course ye do and task, not Well, Emma, he lost the husband. He was throwed a heavy backfall of an elephant in a thought of a pagoda thing, of the falton of the Indies, and he never got the better of it. And thee married a second time, married a cheesemonger and fell in love with her from the front, and he's over here a making a fortune. These various changes, Mr. Sleary, very short of breath now, related with great heartiness, and with a wonderful kind of innocence, considering what a bleary and and brandy-and-water old veteran he was. Afterwards he brought in Josephine and E. W. B. Childers, rather deeply lined in the jaws by daylight, and the little wonder of scholastic equitation, and, in a word, all the company. Amazing creatures they were in Louisa's eyes, so white and pink of complexion, so scant of dress, and so demonstrative of leg, but it was very agreeable to see them crowding about Sissy, and very natural in Sissy to be unable to refrain from tears. There! <sighs> now Thothelia hath kiffed all the children, and hugged all the women, and and hanth all round with all the men. Clear every one of you, and ring in the band for the and part, said Sleary. As soon as they were gone, he continued in a low tone. Now, the I don't hath to know any secret, but I've a bore the making the to be mith squire. This is his sister, yes. And t'other one's daughter. That's what I mean. Oh Bathia well, mith, and I hope squireth well. My father will be here soon, said Louisa, anxious to bring him to the point. Is my brother safe? "'Safe and sound,' he replied. "'I want you just to take a peep at the ring, miss, through here. "'Thethelia, you know the dodgeth. Find a spile for yourself.' "'They each looked through a chink in the boards. "'That's Jack the Giant-Killer. "'Piece of comic infant business,' said Sleary. "'There's a property half ye see, for Jack to hide in. "'There's me clown with a saucepan lid and a spit, for Jack fervent. There's yeah, little Jack himself, in a splendid suit of armour. There's two comic-black fervent twice as big of the house, to stand by it and to bring it in and clear it, and giant, a very expensive basket one. He ain't on yet. Now, do you see them all? Yes, they both said. Look at him again, said Sleary. Look at him well. Ye see em all. Very good. Now, myth,' he put a form for them to sit on, "'I have my opinions, and the squire your father hath hith. "'I don't want to know what your brother's been up to. "'It's better for me not to know. "'All I sayeth, the squire hath stood by Cecilia, "'and I'll stand by, squire. "'Your brother is one of them black ferventh. "'Louisa uttered an exclamation, partly of distress.' "'partly of satisfaction. "'It's a fact,' said Sleary, "'and even knowing it, "'you couldn't put your finger on him. "'Let the squire come. th will keep your brother here after the performance. I not undreth him, nor yet wath his paint off. "'Let the squire come here after the performance, "'or come here yourself after the performance, "'and th will find your brother "'and have the whole place to talk to him in. "'Never mind the looks of him, "'as long as he's well hid.' louisa with many thanks and with a lightened load detained mr sleary no longer then she left her love for her brother with her eyes full of tears and she and sissy went away until later in the afternoon mr graggrind arrived within an hour afterwards he too had encountered no one whom he knew and was now sanguine with sleary's assistance of getting his disgraced son to liverpool in the night as neither of the three could be his companion without almost identifying him under any disguise he prepared a letter to a correspondent whom he could trust beseeching him to ship the bearer off at any cost to north or south america or any distant part of the world to which he could be the most speedily and privately dispatched this done they walked about waiting for the circus to be quite vacated not only by the audience but by the company and by the horses after watching it a long time, they saw Mr. Sleary bring out a chair and sit down by the side-door, smoking, as if that were his signal that they might approach. "'Your fervent, squire,' was his cautious salutation as they passed in, "'if you want me, you'll find me here. You mustn't mind your thun having a comic livery on.' They all three went in, and Mr. Gragrind sat down, forlorn, on the clown's performing chair in the middle of the ring on one of the back benches remote in the subdued light and the strangeness of the place sat the villainous whelp sulky to the last whom he had the misery to call his own in a preposterous coat like a beadle's with cuffs and flaps exaggerated to an unspeakable extent in an immense waistcoat knee-breeches buckled shoes and a mad cocked hat with nothing fitting him and everything of coarse material moth-eaten and full of holes, with seams in his black face where fear and heat had started through the greasy composition daubed all over it. Anything so grimly, detestably, ridiculously shameful as the whelp in his comic livery Mr. Graggrind never could by any other means have believed in, weighable and measurable fact though it was, and one of his model children had come to this. At first the whelp would not draw any nearer, but persisted in remaining up there by himself, yielding at length, if any concession so sullenly made can be called yielding, to the entreaties of Sissy, for Louisa he disowned altogether. He came down, bench by bench, until he stood in the sawdust on the verge of the circle, as far as possible within its limits, from where his father sat. "'How is this done?' asked the father. "'How is what done?' moodily answered the son. "'This robbery,' said the father, "'raising his voice upon the word. "'I forced the safe myself overnight, "'and shut it up ajar before I went away. "'I had the key that was found, made long before. "'I dropped it that morning, "'that it might be supposed to have been used. "'I didn't take the money all at once. "'I pretended to put my balance away every night, "'but I didn't. "'Now you know all about it.' "'If a thunderbolt had fallen on me,' said the father, "'it would have shocked me less than this. "'I don't see why,' grumbled the son so many people are employed in situations of trust so many people out of so many will be dishonest i've heard you talk a hundred times of its being a law how can i help laws you've comforted others with such things father comfort yourself the father buried his face in his hands and the son stood in his disgraceful grotesqueness biting straw his hands with the black partly worn away inside "'looking like the hands of a monkey. "'The evening was fast closing in, "'and from time to time he turned the whites of his eyes "'restlessly and impatiently towards his father. "'They were the only parts of his face "'that showed any life or expression. "'The pigment upon it was so thick. "'You must be got to Liverpool and sent abroad.' "'I suppose I must. "'I can't be more miserable anywhere,' whimpered the whelp, "'than I have been here ever since I can remember. "'That's one thing.' Mr. Graggrind went to the door and returned with Sleary, to whom he submitted the question, how to get this deplorable object away. Why, I've been thinking of it, squire. There's not much time to lose, for so you must say yes or no. It's over twenty miles to the rail. There's a coax in half an hour that goeth to the rail. Purpeth to cath the mail train. That train'll take him right to Liverpool. But look at him groaned Mr. Graggrind. Will any coach? I don't mean that he go in the comic livery, said Sleary. Say the word, and I'll make a jothkin of him, out of the wardrobe in five minutes. I don't understand, said Mr. Graggrind. A jothkin, a carter. Make up your mind, quick, squire. There'll be beer to feth. I've never met with nothing but beer, and they will ever clean a comic blackamoor mr gradgrind rapidly assented mr sleary rapidly turned out from a box a smock frock a felt hat and other essentials the whelp rapidly changed clothes behind a screen of baize mr sleary rapidly brought beer and washed him white again now said sleary come along to th and jump up behind i'll go with you there and they'll forbore you one of my people There Fare farewell to your family and tharp the word with which he delicately retired. Here's your letter, said Mr Gradgrind. All necessary means will be provided for you. Atone by repentance and better conduct for the shocking action you've committed and the dreadful consequences to which it has led. Give me a hand, my poor boy, and may God forgive you as I do. The culprit was moved to a few abject tears by these words, and their pathetic tone, but when Louisa opened her arms, he repulsed her afresh. "'Not you. "'I don't want to have anything to say to you.' "'Oh, Tom, Tom, do we end so, after all my love?' "'After all your love,' he returned obdurately, "'pretty love. "'Leaving old Bounderby to himself, "'and packing my best friend, Mr. Harthouse, off, "'and going home, just when I was in the greatest danger. "'Pretty love, that. "'Coming out with every word about our having gone to that place, "'when you saw the net was gathering round me. "'Pretty love, that.' "'You've regularly given me up. "'You never cared for me.' "'That's the word,' said Sleary at the door. "'They all confusedly went out, "'Louisa crying to him that she forgave him "'and loved him still, "'and that he would one day be sorry to have left her so, "'and glad to think of these her last words far away, "'when someone ran against them. "'Mr. Graggrind and Sissy, "'who were both before him while his sister yet clung to his shoulder,' stopped and recoiled for there was bitzer out of breath his thin lips parted his thin nostrils distended his white eyelashes quivering his colourless face more colourless than ever as if he ran himself into a white heat when other people ran themselves into a glow there he stood panting and heaving as if he had never stopped since the night now long ago when he had run them down before "'I'm sorry to interfere with your plans,' said Bitzer, shaking his head. "'But I can't allow myself to be done by horse-riders. "'I must have Mr. Tom. "'He mustn't be got away by horse-riders. "'Here he is in a smock-frock, and I must have him.' "'By the collar, too, it seemed, for so he took possession of him. Chapter 36 They went back into the booth, "'Sleary shutting the door to keep intruders out.' Bitzer, still holding the paralysed culprit by the collar, stood in the ring, blinking at his old patron through the darkness of the twilight. Bitzer, said Mr. Gradgrind, broken down and miserably submissive to him. Have you a heart? The circulation, sir, returned Bitzer, smiling at the oddity of the question, couldn't be carried on without one. No man, sir, acquainted with the facts established by Harvey relating to the circulation of the blood, can doubt that i have a heart is it accessible cried mr gradgrind to any compassionate influence it is accessible to reason sir returned the excellent young man and to nothing else they stood looking at each other mr gradgrind's face as white as the pursuers what motive even what motive in reason can you have for preventing the escape of this wretched youth said mr gradgrind and crushing his miserable father "'See his sister here. Pity us.' "'Sir,' returned Bitzer, in a very businesslike and logical manner, "'since you asked me what motive I have in reason "'for taking young Mr. Tom back to Coke Town, "'it's only reasonable to let you know. "'I've suspected young Mr. Tom of this bank robbery from the first. "'I had had my eye upon him before that time, for I knew his ways. "'I've kept my observations to myself, but I have made them, "'and I've got ample proofs against him now, besides his running away.' "'and besides his own confession, "'which I was just in time to overhear. "'I had the pleasure of watching your house yesterday morning "'and following you here. "'I'm going to take young Mr. Tom back to Coketown "'in order to deliver him over to Mr. Bounderby. "'Sir, I've no doubt whatever "'that Mr. Bounderby will then promote me "'to young Mr. Tom's situation, "'and I wish to have his situation, sir, "'for it will be a rise to me and will do me good. "'If this is solely a question of self-interest with you, Mr. Gradgrind began. I beg your pardon for interrupting you, sir, returned Bitzer. But I'm sure you know that the whole social system is a question of self interest. What you must always appeal to is a person's self interest. It's your only hold. We are so constituted. I was brought up in that catechism when I was very young, sir, as you are aware. What sum of money, said Mr. Gradgrind, will you set against your expected promotion? Thank you, sir returned Bitsa, for hinting at the proposal, but I will not set any sum against it. Knowing that your clear head would propose that alternative, I have gone over the calculations in my mind, and I find that to compound a felony, even on very high terms indeed, would not be as safe and good for me as my improved prospects in the bank. Bitsa, said Mr. Graggrind, stretching out his hands, as though he would have said, see how miserable I am. Bitsa, i have but one chance left to soften you you were many years at my school if in remembrance of the pains bestowed upon you there you can persuade yourself in any degree to disregard your present interest and release my son i entreat and pray you to give him the benefit of that remembrance i really wonder sir rejoined the old pupil in an argumentative manner to find you taking a position so untenable my schooling was paid for it was a bargain and when i came away the bargain ended. It was a fundamental principle of the Gradgrind philosophy that everything was to be paid for. Nobody was ever on any account to give anybody anything or render anybody help without purchase. Gratitude was to be abolished, and the virtues springing from it were not to be. Every inch of the whole existence of mankind from birth to death was to be a bargain across a counter, and if we didn't get to heaven that way, it was not a politico-economical place, and we had no business there. "'I don't deny,' added Bitzer, "'that my schooling was cheap. "'But that comes right, sir. "'I was made in the cheapest market, "'and have to dispose of myself in the dearest.' He was a little troubled here by Louisa and Cissy crying. Pray don't do that,' said he. "'It's of no use doing that. "'It only worries. "'You seem to think that I have some animosity against young Mr. Tom,' whereas I have none at all. I'm only going, on the reasonable grounds I've mentioned, to take him back to Cope Town. If he was to resist, I should set up the cry of Stop, thief! But he won't resist. You may depend upon it. Mr Sleary, who, with his mouth open and his rolling eye as immovably jammed in his head as his fixed one, had listened to these doctrines with profound attention, here stepped forward. Squire, you know perfectly well, and your daughter knows perfectly well. "'Better than you, because I said it to her, "'that I didn't know what your son had done, "'and that I didn't want to know. "'I said it was better not, "'though I only thought then it was some sky "'However, this young man, "'have he made it known to be a robbery of a bank, "'why, that's a serious thing, "'must too serious a thing for me to compound, A this young man hath very properly called it. "'Consequently, squire, you mustn't quarrel with me, if i take this young man side and say he's right and there's no help for it but i tell you what i'll do squire i'll drive your son and this young man over to thrale and prevent exposure here i can't consent to do more but i'll do that fresh lamentations from louisa and deeper affliction on mr Gradgrind's part followed this desertion of them by their last friend but Cissy glanced at him with great attention, nor did she, in her own breast, misunderstand him. As they were all going out again, he favoured her with one slight roll of his movable eye, desiring her to linger behind. As he locked the door, he said excitedly, The squire stood by you, Cecilia, and I'll stand by the squire. More than that, this is a of rascal, and belongs to that blustering cove "'that my people nearly piffed out a winder. "'It'll be a dark night. "'I've got a horse that'll do anything but speak. "'I've got a pony that'll go 15 mile an hour "'with Childress driving of him. "'I've got a dog that'll keep a man "'to one place four and twenty hours. "'Get a word with young squire. "'Tell him when he thief our off begin to dance, "'not to be afraid of being spilt, "'but to look out for a pony gig coming up. "'Tell him. When he thief that gig close by, to jump down, and it'll take him off at a rattling paith. If my dog left this young man stir a peg on foot, I give him leave to go, and if my oath ever stirth from that spot where he begins a dancing till th morning, I don't know him. Tharp the word The word was so sharp that in ten minutes mister Childers, sauntering about the market place in a pair of slippers, had his cue and Mr. Sleary's equipage was ready. It was a fine sight to behold the learned dog barking round it, and Mr. Sleary instructing him with his one practicable eye that Bitzer was the object of his particular attentions. Soon after dark they all three got in and started. The learned dog, a formidable creature, already pinning Bitzer with his eye and sticking close to the wheel on his side, that he might be ready for him in the event of his showing the slightest disposition to alight the other three sat up at the inn all night in great suspense at eight o'clock in the morning mr sleary and the dog reappeared both in high spirits all right squire," said mr sleary your thun may be aboard a fit by this time childeth took him off an hour and a half after we left here last night "'The horse danced the pulker till he was dead beat. "'He would have wolfed if he hadn't been in harness. "'And then I gave him the word, and he went to sleep comfortable. "'When that precious young rascal said he'd go forward a foot, "'the dog hung on to his neck and with all four legs in the air, "'and pulled him down and rolled him over. "'So he come back into thrag, "'and there he sat till I turned the his head at half-past six this morning.' Mr. Graggrind overwhelmed him with thanks, of course, and hinted as delicately as he could at a handsome remuneration in money. "'I don't want money myself, squire, but Childish is a family man, and if you hath to like to offer him a five-pound note, it mightn't be unacceptable. Likewise, if you have to stand a collar for the dog, and a set of bells for the horse, I thud be very glad to take em. Brandy and water I always take.' He had already called for a glass, and now called for another. If you wouldn't think it going too far, squire, to make a little spread for the company at about three and thick for head, not reckoning Luth, it would make em happy. All these little tokens of his gratitude, Mr. Gradgrind very willingly undertook to render, though he thought them far too slight, he said, for such a service. Very well, squire. Then... "'if you'll only give a hawth-riding, a bit-beak, whenever you can, "'you'll more than balance the account. "'Now, squire, if your daughter will excuse me, "'I would like one parting word with you.' "'Louisa and Sissy withdrew into an adjoining room. "'Mr Sleary, stirring and drinking his brandy and water as he stood, went on. "'Squire, you don't need to be told that dogth is wonderful animals.' "'Their instinct,' said mister Grantgrind, "'is surprising.' "'Whatever you call it, and I'm blessed if I know what to call it,' said Sleary. "'It is a funny thing. The way in with a dog'll find you, the distance he'll come.' "'His scent,' said Mr. Graggrind, being so fine.' "'I'm blessed if I know what to call it,' repeated Sleary, shaking his head. "'But I've had dog find me, squire, in a way that made me think whether that dog hadn't gone to another dog and fed "'You don't happen to know a burthen of the name of Fleary, dear. burthen of the name of Fleary in the horse-riding way. "'Stout man, game eye. "'And whether that dog mightn't have said, "'Well, I can't say I know him myself, "'but I know a dog that I think would be likely to be acquainted with him. "'And whether that dog mightn't have thought it over and said, "'Fleary, Fleary, oh yes, to be sure, "'A friend of mine mentioned him to me at one time.' I can get you with the dreft directly in consequence of my being afore the public and going about for much you see there must be a number of docks acquainted with me, Squire, that I don't know, Mr. Gragrind seemed to be quite confounded by this speculation, anyway, said Sleary, after putting his lips to his brandy-and-water, it's fourteen months ago, squire, "'thinth we were at Chester. we was getting up our children in the wood one morning.' when there cometh into our ring by the stage door a dog. He had travelled a long way, he was in very bad condition, he was lame and pretty well blind, he went round to our children one after another as if he were seeking for a child he knowed, and then he come to me and throwed he fell up behind and stood on his two forelegs, weak as he was, and then he wagged his tail and died. Squire, that dog with merry length. Sissy's father's dog. The Thelia's father's old dog. Now, squire, I can take me oath from my knowledge of that dog, that that man was dead and buried, afore that dog came back to me. Jothfine and Childer for me talked it over a long time whether I thought right or not, but we agreed. No, there's nothing comfortable to tell. Why unthettle her mind and make her unhappy? Though whether her father basely diverted her, or whether he broke his own heart alone rather than pull her down along with him, never will be known now, Squire. Till, no, not till we know how the dog th findeth out. She keeps the bottle that he sent her for to this hour, and she will believe in his affection to the last moment of her life," said Mister. Graggrind.' "'It seems to prevent two things to a person, don't it, squire?' said Mr. Sleery, musing as he looked down into the depths of his brandy-and-water. "'One, that there is a love in the world. "'Not all self-interest, after all, but something very different. T'other, that it hath a way of ith own of calculating, or not calculating, "'with some or other, if at least as hard to give a name to, "'and the wave of the dog faith. Mr. Gradgrind looked out of window, and made no reply. Mr. Sleary emptied his glass, and recalled the ladies. The thee, my dear, gith me and good-bye. "'Mithguire, The fee you treatin' of her like a fifter, "'and a fifter that you trust and honour with all your heart and more, "'it's a very pretty sight to me. "'I hope your brother may live to be better deferving of you, "'and a greater comfort to you. "'Squire, they hands, first and laughed. "'Don't be cross with us poor vagabonds. "'People must be amused. "'They can't be always for learning "'nor yet they can't be always for working "'They are not made for it. "'You must have us, squire. "'Do the wise thing, and the kind thing too, "'and make the best of us, not the worst.' "'And I never thought before,' said Mr Sleary, "'putting his head in at the door again to say it. The die with thaw of a cackler!' "'Chapter 37 "'It is a dangerous thing to see anything in the sphere of a vain blusterer "'before the vain blusterer sees it himself. "'Mr. Bounderby felt that Mrs. Sparset had audaciously anticipated him "'and presumed to be wiser than he inappeasably indignant with her for her triumphant discovery of mrs pegler he turned this presumption on the part of a woman in her dependent position over and over in his mind until it accumulated with turning like a great snowball at last he made the discovery that to discharge this highly connected female to have it in his power to say she was a woman of family and wanted to stick to me but i wouldn't have it and got rid of her would be to get the utmost possible amount of crowning glory out of the connection, and at the same time to punish Mrs. Sparsett according to her deserts. Filled fuller than ever with this great idea, Mr. Bounderby came in to lunch, and sat himself down in the dining-room of former days, where his portrait was. Mrs. Sparsett sat by the fire, with her foot in her cotton stirrup, little thinking whither she was posting. Since the Pegler affair, this gentlewoman had covered her pity for mr bounderby with a veil of quiet melancholy and contrition in virtue thereof it had become her habit to assume a woeful look which woeful look she now bestowed upon her patron what's the matter now ma'am said mr bounderby in a very short rough way pray sir returned mrs sparsett do not bite my nose off bite your nose off ma'am repeated mr bounderby "'Your nose,' meaning, as Mrs Sparsett conceived, "'that it was too developed a nose for the purpose, "'after which offensive implication he cut himself a crust of bread "'and threw the knife down with a noise. Mrs. Sparsett took her foot out of the stirrup and said, "'Mr Bounderby, sir.' "'Well, ma'am,' retorted Mr Bounderby, "'what are you staring at?' "'May I ask, sir,' said Mrs Sparsett, "'have you been ruffled this morning?' "'Yes, ma'am.' "'May I inquire, sir?' pursued the injured woman. "'Whether I am the unfortunate cause of you having lost your temper?' "'Now, I'll tell you what, ma'am,' said Bounderby. "'I'm not come here to be bullied. "'A female may be highly connected, "'but she can't be permitted to bother and badger a man in my position, "'and I am not going to put up with it.' Mr Bounderby felt it necessary to get on, seeing that if he allowed of details he would be beaten mrs sparsett first elevated then knitted her coriolanian eyebrows gathered up her work into its proper basket and rose sir said she majestically it is apparent to me that i am in your way at present i will retire to my own apartment allow me to open the door ma'am thank you sir i can do it for myself "'You'd better allow me, ma'am,' said Bounderby, "'passing her and getting his hand upon the lock,
1: "'because I can take
0: the opportunity of saying a word to you before you go. "'Mrs. Sparsit, ma'am, I rather think you are cramped here, do you know? "'It appears to me that under my humble roof "'there's hardly opening enough for a lady of your genius in other people's affairs.' "'Mrs. Sparsit gave him a look of the darkest scorn and said, with great politeness really sir i have been thinking it over you see since the late affairs have happened ma'am said bounderby and it appears to my poor judgment oh pray sir mrs Sparsit interposed with sprightly cheerfulness don't disparage your judgment everybody knows how unerring mr bounderby's judgment is everybody has had proofs of it it must be the theme of general conversation "'Disparage anything in yourself but your judgment, sir,' said Mrs. Sparset, laughing. Mr. Bounderby, very red and uncomfortable, resumed. "'It appears to me, ma'am, I say, that a different sort of establishment altogether would bring out a lady of your powers. Such an establishment as your relation, Lady Skadges now. Don't you think you might find some affairs there, ma'am, to interfere with?' "'It never occurred to me before, sir,' returned Mrs. Sparsett. "'But now you mention it, I should think it highly probable.' "'Then suppose you try, ma'am,' said Bounderby, "'laying an envelope with a cheque in it, in her little basket. "'You can take your own time for going, ma'am, "'but perhaps in the meanwhile it will be more agreeable "'to a lady of your powers of mind "'to eat her meals by herself, and not to be intruded upon.' "'I really ought to apologise to you, being only Josiah Bounderby of Corktown, for having stood in your light so long.' "'Pray, don't name it, sir,' returned Mrs. Sparsit. "'If that portrait could speak, sir, but it has the advantage over the original of not possessing the power of committing itself and disgusting others, it would testify that a long period has elapsed since I first habitually addressed it as the picture of a noodle.' nothing that a noodle does can awaken surprise or indignation the proceedings of a noodle can only inspire contempt thus saying mrs sparsett with her roman features like a medal struck to commemorate her scorn of mr bounderby surveyed him fixedly from head to foot swept disdainfully past him and ascended the staircase mr bounderby closed the door and stood before the fire protecting himself after his old explosive manner into his portrait and into futurity into how much of futurity he saw mrs sparsett fighting out a daily fight at the points of all the weapons in the female armory with the grudging smarting peevish tormenting lady scadgers still laid up in bed with her mysterious leg and gobbling her insufficient income down by about the middle of every quarter In a mean little airless lodging a mere closet for one a mere crib for two but did he see more did he catch any glimpse of himself making a show of bitser to strangers as the rising young man so devoted to his master's great merits who had won young tom's place and had almost captured young tom himself in the times when by various rascals he was spirited away did he see any faint reflection of his own image making a vainglorious will, whereby five-and-twenty humbugs past five-and-fifty years of age, each taking upon himself the name Josiah Bounderby of Corktown, should for ever dine in Bounderby Hall, for ever lodge in Bounderby Buildings, for ever attend a Bounderby Chapel, for ever go to sleep under a Bounderby Chaplain, for ever be supported out of a Bounderby Estate, and for ever nauseate all healthy stomachs with a vast amount of Bounderby balderdash and bluster. Had he any prescience of the day, five years to come, when Josiah Bounderby of Coketown was to die in a fit in the Coketown street, and this same precious will was to begin its long career of quibble, plunder, false pretenses, vile example, little service, and much law? Probably not. Yet the portrait was to see it all out. Here was Mr. Graggrind on the same day and in the same hour, sitting thoughtful in his own room. How much of futurity did he see? Did he see himself a white-haired, decrepit man, bending his hitherto inflexible theories to appointed circumstances, making his facts and figures subservient to faith, hope and charity, and no longer trying to grind that heavenly trio in his dusty little mills? Did he catch sight of himself? therefore much despised by his late political associates did he see them in the era of its being quite settled that the national dustmen have only to do with one another and owe no duty to an abstraction called a people taunting the honourable gentleman with this and with that and with what not five nights a week until the small hours of the morning probably he had that much foreknowledge knowing his men here was louisa on the night of the same day watching the fire as in days of yore though with a gentler and a humbler face how much of the future might arise before her vision broadsides in the streets signed with her father's name exonerating the late stephen blackpool weaver from misplaced suspicion and publishing the guilt of his own son with such extenuation as his years and temptation he could not bring himself to add his education might beseech were of the present so stephen blackpool's tombstone with her father's record of his death was almost of the present for she knew it was to be these things she could plainly see but how much of the future a working woman christened rachel after a long illness once again appearing at the ringing of the factory bell and passing to and fro at the set hours among the coketown hands a woman of a pensive beauty always dressed in black, but sweet-tempered and serene, and even cheerful, who, of all the people in the place, alone appeared to have compassion on a degraded, drunken wretch of her own sex, who was sometimes seen in the town, secretly begging of her and crying to her, a woman working, ever working, but content to do it, and preferring to do it as her natural lot, until she should be too old to labour any more. Did Louisa see this? such a thing was to be a lonely brother many thousands of miles away writing on paper blotted with tears that her words had too soon come true and that all the treasures in the world would be cheaply bartered for a sight of her dear face at length this brother coming nearer home with hope of seeing her and being delayed by illness and then a letter in a strange hand saying he died in hospital of fever such a day, and died in penitence and love of you, his last words being your name. Did Louisa see these things? Such things were to be. Herself again a wife, a mother, lovingly watchful of her children, ever careful that they should have a childhood of the mind no less than a childhood of the body, as knowing it to be even a more beautiful thing, and a possession, any hoarded scrap of which is a blessing and happiness to the wisest, Did Louisa see this? Such a thing was never to be. But, happy Sissy's happy children loving her, all children loving her. She, grown learned in childish lore, thinking no innocent and pretty fancy ever to be despised, trying hard to know her humbler fellow-creatures, and to beautify their lives of machinery and reality with those imaginative graces and delights without which the heart of infancy will wither up the sturdiest physical manhood will be morally stark death and the plainest national prosperity figures can show will be the writing on the wall she holding this course as part of no fantastic vow or bond or brotherhood or sisterhood or pledge or covenant or fancy dress or fancy fare but simply as a duty to be done did louisa see these things of herself these things were to be dear reader it rests with you and me whether in our two fields of action similar things shall be or not let them be we shall sit with lighter bosoms on the hearth to see the ashes of our fires turn grey and cold end of hard times by charles dickens read by phil benson